If you want to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 21. 1 Samuel chapter 21. Title of the message today is Run, Forest, Run. Any of you guys run? Any runners here today? A couple of you insane people? I, you might not know it. I used to run cross country in high school. Uh, and, uh, you know, <laughs> I... Uh, <laughs> It's crazy. The only reason I signed up for cross country was because um, my high school was a mile from the beach, and our workouts every day were that we would run down to the beach, and then we would run for several miles along the beach, and then we would run back to the high school. Well, I always used to conveniently get disconnected from the group uh, when we would get down to the beach, and I'd go body surfing. That was my thing. So uh, I'm, I'm really not a runner. Um, <laughs> I, I really, I ascribe more to the philosophy that I read on a bumper sticker recently. It said, if you see me running, you should run too because something's probably chasing me. Uh, that's more me. Um, but you know, metaphorically, it's been said that um, everybody's running. Uh, you're either running from something or you're running to something. And for some people, it's both. For many people, it's both. You know, uh, I'll give you some examples. Women uh, who were neglected by their fathers growing up have a tendency, uh, this is not an absolute truism, but it's a general truism, that they have a tendency to run from that experience and run to men, uh, and to look to get in those relationships with men, something that they never got from their, their fathers. Give you another example. People who grew up in, in, a, in a scarcity environment, environments where there wasn't a lot to go around. If you grew up uh, either in extreme poverty or even if you grew up in a home to where, you know, you, 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 you weren't, you know, terribly poor, but it was, a, it was just a scratch to make a living kind of existence. A lot of people will grow up in those kind of environments and they will run from that and they will run to materialism. They develop what, what's called a scarcity mentality where, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're hesitant to give away anything because, man, if I give it to you, there might, might not be enough for me. Give you one more example. Um, you see sometimes people who are raised in a chaotic home, messy home, dirty home, a lot of times those people grow up and they run from that experience and they run to a life where there's structure and order and cleanliness. You know, I know one particular gal who absolutely is crazy about keeping her house clean and if it gets messy or cluttered at all, she, she gets very anxious. Why? Well, because it reminds her too much of the environment in which she grew up in and she can't handle it. So she runs from that and so she runs to structure and order. Well, as the curtain rises here in 1 Samuel chapter 21, we see that David is running as well. David is running from Saul. If you've been with us going through the book, um, just a, a quick <clears throat> overview is that God had called uh, King Saul to lead the nation of Israel, but King Saul had become puffed up in pride and he'd become very selfish and self-serving and gotten to the point where he was disobeying God and then he was building monuments to himself. And uh, so God shows up pretty soon. He's like, you know, you are done. I'm taking my spirit away from you. I'm going to give my spirit to someone else, somebody who's more faithful. And, uh, and so that, lo and behold, is the son of Jesse, David, whom God calls while he's in a humble existence, tending his father's sheep. 
God leaves David in obscurity and David remains humbly faithful, which will factor in heavily in our message here today. Um, but basically, David, in a humble, faithful place, God's hand is upon him, his, his spirit is poured out upon him, and in time his opportunity comes. David responds to this, he's obedient to the Lord, and the opportunity there to fight Goliath arises, and David filled with the Spirit and, and by the power of God, fights Goliath with a, with a slingshot, puts him down with one rock. And, and so it, everybody is just amazed and he quickly becomes the commander of the army. Saul is thrilled at first, but then all of a sudden what happens is every big, everybody begins to sing David's praises. Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul freaks out, loses his mind, <clears throat> decides he's going to go after David and does so with a vengeance trying to kill him. Uh, and he tries a m- number of different ways to kill him. He throws spears at him a couple of times. He sends assassins to try and kill him on several occasions and so on. And so now David is running for his life. And uh, this morning as we get into it, it's instructive for us to note where David ran to and also the path that he subsequently took. And that's what we're going to look at today today. 1 Samuel chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Now, David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid when he met David, <clears throat> and he said to him, why are you alone, and no one is with you? Now, first point uh, uh, to, to note, first, first uh, thing, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. David ran to the house of the Lord. This is a fantastic start. He runs to Nob, and Nob is about 12 miles east of Jerusalem. It was in Nob where the tabernacle was, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And the text makes it clear here that David is running to Ahimelech, the priest. So he's off to a great start. His world is crashing down. And I ask you just to prayerfully consider this morning as we go through this, where do you run to when your world is crashing down? Where is it that you run to when everything's coming upon you and, and, and all? Where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide? And so David, man, he starts out great. He runs to the house of God. The psalmist in Psalm 73 was going through a time where he was troubled at all of the injustice and the the prosperity of the wicked that he saw in the world. There's all this injustice and the wicked prosper, and he was troubled by this, and he wrote about it. He said, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. See, a lot of times for us, we go through different experiences, and those experiences are very painful for us. And it's hard for us to make sense, especially when God is a God whose ways are not man's ways. And so God allows things to happen in our life that we can't reconcile and that we don't understand. And it causes us oftentimes to lose faith in God and to run in varying directions. And so this, the, the psalmist said, I was troubled by this, and I ran to the house of God, and that's when it all began to make sense. In light of eternity, in light of who God is, and all of these things, then the world began to make sense. And so uh, that's exactly the way it should be for us, that we run to God's house and gain his perspective, and that's exactly what David, David does, runs there to see him like the priest. Now, Right out the gate, as soon as he gets there, Ahimelech suspects that there's something wrong. He just picks up on it. 
<clears throat> maybe it's a divine revelation. Maybe he just, you know, the spirit within him uh, just, just resonating and just speaking and just, you know, whoop, something, something off. You know, so those of you that have really good discernment, you know, so you, could, you can talk to somebody and instantaneously you know what's wrong. You just pick up on other people are oblivious. You know, they don't have a clue. They can't buy a clue. They can't buy a vowel. They, they just, just don't know, you know. But there's those people in our lives, they just pick up on it. Well, this Ahimelech picks up on it. It might also be the fact that, that David came alone. See, David is a high public official. He's the commander of Saul's armies. Well, he's been demoted because Saul was so jealous of him. And so now he's, he's at least the captain of a thousand. You would expect that if he's traveling, he's going to be traveling in a group. It would, it would be highly unusual for him to be traveling alone. It would be, you know, not unlike if you found the President of the United States uh, walking somewhere without all of his secret servants agents. You know, you're walking into 7-Eleven and you're like, oh, hey, look at that. He's right. What are you doing here, you know? And so this is what this priest does, sees him alone. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa what's going on here kind of thing. He's afraid. Now, David senses this. And so uh, we continue in verse 2. So David said to Ahimelech, the priest... The king has ordered me on some business. And he said to me, do not let anybody know uh, anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you and I have directed my young men to such and such a place. Now, this is huge for us to, to really understand what's going on here. My first point that David ran to the house of the Lord. Second point, if you're writing it down, David responded with lies. He responded with lies. He tells Ahimelech, I'm here on the king's business. I'm on a secret mission. My men are with me. It's the equivalent of, look, I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. This is, you know, I'm on a secret mission kind of thing. And he's just liar, liar, pants on fire. He's just lying. It's a flat out. And some guys in their commentaries, they try and, you know, massage this and kind of engineer. No, the man's lying. And, and, he, and he's, it's bad enough that he's lying, but, but you know, he's, he's bearing false witness about the king. He's saying, hey, the, you know, the, the king sent me. He's going to go on and lie even some more and, and all about him. And so the, the, the issue is, while we can sympathize with him, because we can, we go, well, good grief. The guy's trying to kill him. He's running for his life. Uh, and, you know, he runs into this guy. And, uh, you know, whatever. What's a harmless fib going to hurt? He's, he's just got to get out of there. Um, we might even rationalize and go, well, gee whiz. He, you know, maybe David is thinking, I want to protect this guy. I don't want him to be culpable. I don't want him to have to, to share in any sport or sort of... It's better that he doesn't know anything. Now, that, you know, might be and sound all well and good, but what the problem is is that this lie is going to end up costing Ahimelech his life. Spoiler alert, too late. Next chapter, you're going to see that Saul goes and he kills Ahimelech along with 85 other priests. He kills their wives and he kills their children. All because David lied. See, a lot of times for us, what happens when we lie and when we manipulate a situation, it might seem in the short term that, you know, hey, it's the most expeditious thing to do. It's the easiest thing for me to do. It's a harmless fib. It's not going to really hurt anybody. But what it does, listen, and this is important, it sets us on a course that is our course and not God's course. See, the minute you lie, you have chosen a path that God does not want you to take. And so the thing is, is that, you know, David comes to the house of God. He's looking for comfort, but he's never going to find the cure because he's chosen a path that is contrary to the path of God. 
And so very important that we keep that in mind. Man, we, we got to go. You know, if I go to the doctor and I start lying to him, I'm just looking for comfort. I just want some sort of relief for my symptoms, but I never really, you know, be honest with him. Then, then there's a chance that maybe he won't be able to accurately treat me and get to the root of the problem. And so it's critically important when... For us, for application today, here on this Sunday morning, maybe, you know, running to church, coming to church, I applaud you. We need to be in the house of the Lord. The Bible says that we're not to neglect the gathering together of the saints. We had a men's breakfast yesterday. I was telling the men how critically it is, how important it is for us to make it a priority to come to church because this is where we get our compass heading. You know, when I, when I used to take my boat over to Catalina all the time, it wasn't like I just referenced my compass once or twice. You're looking at it constantly because, you know, you get, it, it's amazing how quickly you get off course, isn't it? And so for us to be in fellowship, we have God's word. We have our brothers and sisters in Christ spurring us on towards love and good deeds, pointing us to the right way in which we are to go. And, and so, you know, the, there's a way, the Bible says, that, that, that leads to life right? And, and we're to take it. But a lot of people, man, it, they, they follow their own hearts, their own minds, the way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death, the Bible says. So we have to make a priority of coming to church and being on track and, and making sure that we're going to set our course. And so when we come to church, great, but if you come to church and then you respond with lies, then that's not so great. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. A friend of mine, Pastor, uh, had occasion, he, he was called recently, had to go and counsel uh, with this married couple, and, and they, in fact, had been married for, for many, many years, and they had been calling the church. Every time they get in a train wreck, you know, in, in their marriage, they call the church. And so, you know, he, you know, counseling with them, and then what would, you know, every good counselor wants to be able to, to differentiate between what the symptoms are and what the, what the problem is. Right, And so he constantly trying to deal with and navigate his way through all of their symptoms, trying to get to the root of the problem. Well, they're lying to him. For all, for all of this time, they're lying to him. They really won't come out with what's going on. And so he, he's you know, frustrated in a place to where, man, you know, it's difficult to get to the truth. Now, he, he perceptively you know, picks up on, perceptively picks up on what is going on uh, sometime into it, and he's like, look, here's the problem. You've got, you know, you got a substance abuse. And, and so as long as you fail to deal with this, we're never going to deal with these other things. It's, it's not going to do any good. We've got to deal with this issue. And, and then, you know, and it's just a constant uphill push to say, look, you don't just come to church for, you know, the, the, just to make you feel better. You're coming to church for the cure. And if you come here and you deal deceptively with God, then what's going to happen is you're never going to find the cure. And that here is exactly what happens to David. He goes to the right place, but he responds entirely in the wrong way. He responds with lies. Listen, I've shared this verse, 1 John 1, 9, with you often. It says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you should know by now that word confess means to agree with God. That's what it literally means. To agree with God. Not just agreeing with God that I'm going to call sin what God calls sin. I'm not going to say, oh, you know, I, 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 this is, I'm you know, genetically predisposed to struggle with alcohol. This is my illness. Yeah, you have an illness. It's called sin. Because I'm genetically predisposed to struggle with alcohol too. 
Guess what? It's sin. We're called to confess that to the Lord, to repent of that. You say it's not that easy. I'm telling you that there is deliverance in Jesus Christ. He says that in Christ, old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And I know many, many, many people formerly addicted to, to drugs and alcohol who have found freedom in Jesus Christ by surrendering their life to him. And he makes you brand new and he delivers you from that lifestyle. But listen, if you come to church and if you live in lies where you're not going to be able to confess and go, I'm going to call sin what God calls sin. I'm going to wink at this little pet sin that I've got over here. No, you've got to deal with sin the way God tells you to. The confession is, Lord, I've sinned. Have mercy on me. Set me free. Cleanse me. The confession is, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins in my place. And so I'm not going to allow Satan to get into my head and to, to bring conviction or bring condemnation. The Holy Spirit's going to convict me of sin, but the enemy's going to, con- going to condemn us. He's going to say, you suck. You can't go to God, you big fat loser. Look at you. You know, you've got to clean your life up a little bit before you can go to God. No, that's a lie. That's not confessing our sin the way the Bible tells us to. We need to confess, hey, this is sin. I've got to call it sin. I have to repent of it, but I also have to receive the forgiveness that I have in, in God, in Christ Jesus. That he loves me so much. I'm a child. You would walk through fire for your children, would you not? And God would walk through fire for you. Has. His, his son went to the cross to die for our sins. And so a confession says, I come to church. I'm a sinner. Lord, this is what I've done. Have mercy on me. This is so what's important for us to do. Yeah, we need to come to the house of the Lord, but we have to do so in truth. Jesus said to his disciples, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, David doesn't do that, and so we continue now in verse 3. He's talking to Ahimelech. He says, now therefore, what have you on hand? Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David, and he said, there's no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have at least kept themselves from women. And then David answered the priest and he said, Truly, women have been kept from us uh, for about three days uh, since I came out. And the vessels of the young men are holy. And the, the bread is, in effect, common, even though it was consecrated in the vessel this day. So the priest gave him holy bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread, which had been taken from before the Lord in order, to be, uh, in order to put hot bread in its place on the day when it was taken away. Now let me explain all that. My third point, David resorted to begging. David resorted to begging. See, David's on the run. He, he, he beat a hasty retreat, didn't have time to pack a bag, didn't have time to pack some supplies, and so now he needs food. Not just for right now at this minute, but he needs food for, because he doesn't know how long he's going to be. And so he hits this guy up. He's like, hey man, you know, do you have some bread? And the priest says, well listen, we only have holy bread. Now here's what the priest is talking about. In the tabernacle, there were 12 loaves of bread in the tabernacle. And, and according to Levitical law, it was to be there, it was a symbol of God's continuous fellowship with Israel. That's important. That, 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 that this bread was symbolic. See, what would happen is the bread was placed in the tabernacle on, uh, on what was known as the table of showbread. The table of showbread was about three feet long, maybe a foot and a half wide, uh, maybe a couple, 
two and a half feet tall or so, two feet, three inches, something like that. It was made of acacia wood. It was covered in solid gold. They had made it, and it was part of the tabernacle when they came out uh, of Egypt, and it was put there in the tabernacle. So as you came into the tabernacle, the golden lampstand was on the left, and the table of showbread was right on your right-hand side. And then there on that table of showbread, what they would do is they would place 12 loaves of bread, one for each tribe of Israel. And what happened is they would take those breads, they would sprinkle them lightly with frankincense. And, and again, it was there to, to symbolize God's continuing abiding fellowship with Israel. And what would happen is once a week, the bread was replaced and the priests were instructed to eat the old bread and to give God new, fresh, hot, baked bread. Don't you just, I love fresh, hot, baked bread. I just think about, you know, if, if I get hit by a truck and I wake up and it smells like a bakery, I know I will be in heaven, you know. Um, and, and so what would happen is, again, according to Levitical law, I'll put it on the screen, here's where, here's where it instructed this. It said, and it, speaking of the bread, shall be for Aaron and his sons, the priests, and they shall eat it in a holy place, for it is most holy to him from the offering of the Lord made by a fire by a perpetual statute. In other words, this is something that you need to continue to do week in, week out. Now, this passage in Leviticus... It doesn't specifically say that only the priests can eat this bread. That seems to be implied, but it doesn't say that only the priests can eat the bread. The emphasis is that the bread is holy, and it's to be eaten in a holy, reverential way. Why? Well, because it symbolizes fellowship with God. And see, if you... The Bible says that, that you know God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And if we walk in darkness and then we say we have fellowship with the light, that we lie. And so the thing is, is that God can't have fellowship with darkness. And so, so for you and me, if we want to have an abiding, fellowshipping time with God, well, then we need to be walking in light. Now, the bad news is we're all sinners, Right? And so you think, well, how on earth am I ever going to walk with God if I'm a sinner and, and by nature and choice? Right? Everybody's born into sin. Everybody's separated from God by their sins. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. But the Bible promises that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so what happens is, is that when you surrender your life to the Lord, then what Jesus comes into your life and you become a new creature in Christ. Old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. That doesn't mean that you stop sinning. You're exhorted to refrain from sin, to, to do your best, to, to walk in, in a righteous way. But when you sin, you are Christ's righteousness is imputed to you. It's credited to your account. So, so to put it in a picture form, when you, you ever pick up a broken piece of glass, like a pe- green piece of glass, you look through it, everything looks green. This is God as he looks at you through Jesus Christ. He sees you holy and righteous and pure. And so, so this is the idea of partaking of this bread and all. We are in, in fellowship with God. See, and, and, and that's the thing. This priest comes to him and he goes, look, I just want to make sure before I give you this bread that, uh, you know, you've, you've kept yourself clean. And, uh, and he, you know, and you, you're sexually clean. You haven't been with any women kind of deal. And, uh, and once he assures that, he's just, he's just going for the basic level of, hey, before I give you this holy bread, I just want to make sure that, you know, you're walking away that pleases the Lord. That's the idea. Now, 
This is an act that actually superseded that Levitical law. It, it was an act that was, that was approved by God because what Ahimelech was doing was he was caring for David for, for his health and well-being. And so the, the idea of I'm going to give this to you to, to take care of you physically, to nourish you, that actually was honored by God. And we know that because Jesus himself pointed to this very event that happened between Ahimelech and David when the Pharisees were, were accusing uh, Jesus' discipleships of breaking Levitical law. And they're, they're like, why do your disciples not, not keep you know, this Levitical law? And Jesus pointed to this example and he says, you know, you're going to get with, upset with my, my disciples because they're walking through a, a wheat field and they're you know, rubbing the, the chaff off and eating the, the kernels of wheat? Good grief. And so he, he cited this. So we know that Ahimelech was doing something that was, that was honorable to God. Now, he asks him, hey, David, are you, 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 are you ceremonially clean? And he says, yeah, we are, you know. <laughs> Me and my guys, we're, we're ceremonially clean. Now, David is being both honest and dishonest in that answer. And the fact that, yes, they're ceremonially, he's ceremonially clean. He can partake of the bread. But he's being dishonest because he's perpetuating the lie. He, does, he has no group of men, you know, and, and all. And, uh, and so there he is. And um, now, God, in working in this, we got to get what God's doing. Because whenever you're in a situation where um, you have maybe run to the house of God, but you've responded in lies, and you're going down, you know, in an in opposite direction, or in a, you're taking a detour, um, God, you ever seen a sheepdog, man, trying to herd sheep? They are hot on it, man. Those sheep don't stand a chance. And God is, he's been called the hound of heaven. And he's just going to get on you and get you back on track. And so what happens is, it's not coincidence that this is the only bread that's available. God's trying to show something to David. God's trying to communicate to David, trying to get him to open his eyes up and see, hey, appreciate, David, the significance of what's happening here. And for us to understand this, I mean, we get the idea in that this bread is the symbol of God's continuing fellowship with us, but we have to understand the importance and meaning of the, the, just the very word showbread. Uh, that, that word showbread, um, listen, here's what it literally means. Showbread means bread of faces. We sang today, there will be a day when, when I will see you face to face, loving you face to face. Well, that's the symbol of showbread. That's what it's all about. And here's what it stands for. Hey, listen, when, when I eat this bread, I'm eating it before the face of God. And when I eat this bread, it's a symbol of, of fellowship with God. You know, I'm eating God's bread in God's house as God's friend, as his guest, and I'm enjoying his hospitality. And, and in this culture, eating a meal together was, was super important. It was, it was something that, it was a bond of friendship. It was permanent. It was sacred. You didn't share a meal with just anybody. And, and you know, a couple of things about the showbread. It was always to be fresh. And, and, you know, our relationship with God, our meeting with Him face to face, it's always something that's to be fresh and new. Uh, you know, to think about your marriage relationship. For those of you that are married, I mean, what if you only talk to your spouse, you know, once a week or, or, or once every couple of weeks or, or whatever? You didn't communicate for, for days at a time. Your relationship would be damaged. It's to be fresh. And so that's the idea here. 
And the showbread's also a demonstration of our dependence upon God. That, that everything that we have, that, our, that all of even our very food comes from God. And so this is actually a symbolic representation of, of a prayer that Jesus instructed his disciples. The Lord's Prayer. In that he, he says, give us this day our daily bread. This was emblematic of all of that. And see, what the, the significance is, you can see the hand of God in this. In that David is starting to go off and God is saying, dude, I'm over here. I want to meet with you face to face. I don't want you to, to doubt in your faith. I don't want you getting rocked in your faith. I don't want you to start going off in a direction where you start trusting in yourself and you stop trusting in me, David. And he has that opportunity here just by the very thing that he's eating. God's like, hello, do you see what, 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 what I've arranged here? I like the way Ellen Redpath talks about this. He said, David lost confidence in God and in fulfillment of God's purpose for his life, which had been revealed to him. He went to God's house for comfort and for help and guidance, but he was detected as being wrong in his soul. And Himelech says, what is going on? And instead of acknowledging the truth to the only one who could help him, confessing that he had been telling a lie, he ran for his life again. Hey, listen, here's the point of application for you and me it's a, in, by way of a question. Are you begging for leftovers in the house of God? God wants to have fellowship with you. He wants to meet you face to face. He doesn't want you to run off on a tangent and go down a road and say, I got to do it myself because I can't trust in God. He's like, I want to meet with you face to face. I want you to trust in me. Jesus speaking in the book of Revelation, he said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and to him and dine with him and he with me. The Father wants to dine with you. He wants to have fellowship with you. But in order to do that, you got to open the door to him and you have to acknowledge the truth. you got to meet with him in truth. Well, we continue now in verse 7. It said, now a certain man of Saul's servants was, was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite. I guarantee you this kid got in fights in school. Doeg. <laughs> um, so his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chief of the herdsmen who belonged to Saul. And David said to Ahimelech, is there not, uh, is there not here on hand a spear or sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. And so the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. For there is no other except that one here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. My fourth point, if you'll write it down, is that David reacted in the flesh. David reacted in the flesh. How so? Well, we're introduced here to Doeg. And Doeg is going to figure very prominently in the next chapter. But here in verse 7, there's three clues that we get about Doeg that tells us everything we need to know about him. Uh, We learn that he was the chief of the herdsmen. We learn that he was an Edomite. And we learn that he was connected to Saul. Now that word chief, when it says chief of the herdsmen, uh, the literal translation of that is mighty, but it can also mean violent. And we're going to see that, that Doeg is very violent. In fact, when the priests are killed in the next chapter, because Saul is so upset that, that David has gone there and that they have helped him, then what happens is 
Saul tells his guys, go kill the priest. And his guys are all like, I'm not, we're not going to kill a priest. You know? And so what happens is Doeg goes, I'll do it. He kills all 86 priests, all of their wives, all of their children. And so he is a very violent man. That's the first thing we learn about him. Second thing we learn about him is he's an Edomite, which basically means the guy, he doesn't know God. He, he's a Gentile. Now, he might be at the tabernacle here, but he's not there to worship. And so the thing is, is that he, not being a, a follower of the Lord, he's not going to be open and receptive to hearing from the Holy Spirit of God. When the Holy Spirit speaks to Jonathan and says, hey, David's the guy I have anointed, and you, you, support, the guy, you support me, you're on my team, and Jonathan says, yes, sir, Doeg's not going to hear from God that way. And so when Saul says, take him out, Doeg's like, can I do it twice? I mean, he's, he's an evil man. Thirdly, he was connected to Saul. That's strike three. He's a threat to David. David's a man of war. He has here what's known as situational awareness. Situational awareness. I was, I was in uh, San Diego with my son-in-law and, and uh, Zach and, and, and my daughter, Caitlin. We went down there to the Gas Lamp District for dinner a couple of years ago. We were there, had a great time. Uh, and then after dinner, we went and walked. We went over to Girardelli's, got chocolate and all that. It was amazing. It was fun. It was a great time. But we, when we got there, it was packed, and we had to plock several park several blocks down the, the way in a parking structure. And if you've ever been down there, you know, after about 10 o'clock at night, it starts to get seedy down there because it's kind of, there's, you know, there's a lot of seedy areas around the gas lamp and they start to, to wake up at night and it gets, and they start to encroach. Well, we're, we're walking back. It's like midnight, after midnight. We get, we, we get into this parking structure. And for whatever reason, I was back behind Brenda and I both about a couple hundred feet behind Zach and Caitlin. And so Zach, he's a photographer, he's got his trunk open and he's, his head buried inside the trunk and he's rummaging around through his, his photography equipment, the equipment, thousands of dollars worth of t- photography equipment. Well, from my vantage point, still kind of in the shadows coming into the parking structure, I see a guy come walking out, he's making a beeline for Zach and this guy is sketchy, man. And so, I mean, it's clear Zach's about to get mugged, you know. And Zach had zero situational awareness. His head was buried in the trunk. And so I just went, hey, Zach. And just me calling was enough for this guy to turn and, and to go away. That, that's an example of, of zero situational awareness. David, he's a fighting man. His head is on a swivel. He picks up immediately. Uh, there, Doeg, Edomite, violent man. He's with Saul. Bad news. So what's he do? Well, he did what probably you and I would do in the same situation. He's like, you, you got a gun? You got something, you know, something I can defend myself with? So he asks uh, Ahimelech, do you have a spear? Do you have a sword? What do you got? And so the, the, the thing is, on the one hand, this makes sense. You or I, we would do the same thing, probably. But what's, what's wrong with it? Here's what's wrong with it. You have to consider, where did that sword come from? How did David come to be in possession of that sword such that now it's there in the tabernacle? Here's how. By faith. David did not get that sword by telling lies and half-truths and taking matters into his own hand. He got that sword by boldly trusting God by faith and going wherever God called him. And when he was in a situation and now everybody's telling him, you can't fight Goliath, he's been a... Fighting man from his youth, and you're just a little runt kid. 
He's going to wipe you out. And Saul even tries to get David to put his own armor on him. And David puts Saul's armor on, and he walks out there, and thank God he was led by faith and not by the flesh because he says, I can't fight him in this. Listen, application, you cannot fight the enemy in your flesh. You, 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 you will not have success in the battle that God's called you to have by fighting in your flesh. And what David is doing here now is he's turned from that place of such beautiful faith and now he's gotten into a place to where he's going to start trusting in his flesh. Paul was talking to the Galatians. They were in a similar place. They, Paul had planted a church. He put some guys in charge. He left. All of a sudden, word comes to Paul. Hey, some men got into that church and they started telling him, man, Jesus is cool and all, but you know, you, you got to be circumcised if you want to be saved. And Paul freaked out. He's like, it's salvation by grace through faith. It's not of works. It's not what you do. If if you say it's Jesus plus anything equals nothing, man. You're either trusting entirely in the Lord or you're trusting in yourself. I think that might be a word for somebody here today. Listen, if you're trusting, if you think, hey, my get into, you know, get out of jail free card, my get into heaven card, is because, you know, I've done something that is pleasing to God's sight. I mean, you got the wrong, you got the wrong belief system. The Bible says that the only way into heaven is to, is to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross for your sins in your place, that he paid the only penalty that was acceptable to God, his blood, his life, in exchange for yours. And that's what we trust in. And so David's gotten in a place where he started trusting in the flesh. And listen, here's what, here's what, uh, uh, um, Paul said to the Galatians when he was talking to them, he says, how foolish can you be after starting your Christian lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? And this is, this is where David is. Paul would say also to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10, he'd say, hey, look, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Again, the point of application for us as we take a walk with this is, listen, what weapons am I going to rely upon in my battle? And, and listen, would you be in a place today where you're going to trust God by faith or you're going to trust God by your flesh, by what you do? We were praying this morning, several of us, and one of our pastors was praying for those that made professions of faith. Uh, on Easter Sunday. Over that weekend, we had, we had over 40 people commit their lives to Christ and to, to respond to the invitation. And, and what often happens is somebody will come forward, but they won't go forward. And see, the importance for us is to be, we're called to, to make disciples of all the nations. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. And that's, that's the whole reason we exist as a church. The vision of Reliance Church is to make disciples who know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. That's our mission statement. And so we want, we want to make disciples who know, love, and serve Jesus Christ and his people. And, and so we're praying for those people that came forward because we know that there will be some who came forward, but they don't go forward. Listen, we need to go forward, and we do not go forward in the power of our flesh. God starts a beautiful, wonderful work by his Holy Spirit. And listen, we continue in that work by trusting God by faith. Some of you are in a place today where you're not trusting God by faith. You're stressed out about a situation. You've run here, but man, you're, you're not really fully letting go. And I would invite you today just to be able to trust God and, and to say, settle it. Just to go, God, 
I'm going to let go of this thing. I'm not going to keep picking this thing up. When I was a kid, I broke my skateboard and I gave it to my dad. And it was like, you know, it was important. It was like a Bane skateboard, you know, and a fiberglass skateboard and it had Cadillac wheels on it, you know. And, and this thing was $32, man. And so when I broke it, my dad went to fix it and I kept everything. To fix it, he had to take it apart. And so as he started taking it apart, I wanted to snatch that thing away from him. And, and, and he'd, he'd have to coax me into giving it back. And, and, and then he'd start, and, and I would want to take it back. You're ruining it. And finally, my dad says to me, son, if you keep snatching that thing back, I'm never going to be able to fix it. And that's what we've got to be with God. We've got to be able to let him take this. Okay, God, I'm going to let this, I'm going to let go of this thing. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to try and, you know, do this on my own. Well, my fifth and final point is that David was reduced to humiliation. Verse 10, then David arose and he fled that day from before Saul and he went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in the dances saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands? And now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And so he changed his behavior before them. He pretended madness in their hands. He scratched on the doors of the gate and he let his saliva fall down his beard. And then Akish said to his servants, look, you see the man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of a madman that, that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? It's like, what? What is going on here? See, in this culture, you have to understand that a man's beard was his honor. A man's beard was like, it's kind of like, you know, the ridiculousness of our culture today. I mean, beards are in right now, but you mark my words, in a couple of years, they will be out. I'll be clean shaven, right? And so everybody here, except for Waylon, will still have his beard. And, and Waylon, it is a beautiful beard, my friend. And that man, David, would be envious of your beard. And, and see, so they would not shave their beards. This was a symbol of, of, of manhood and of you know, honor and dignity. And, and, and I want you to think about it here. Here David has been reduced. He's drooling in his beard. He's spitting in his beard. He's, it's like the most humiliating thing that you can possibly think of. And, and as you consider this, you go, man... I can remember a time not long before this where Samuel shows up and he anoints David, right? And, and you can imagine as Samuel pours that oil over David, that, that oil, that symbol of the Holy Spirit once running through his beard, right? You can, you, can, you can envision and see, and now what has David been reduced to? Now it's spit that's running through his beard. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. See, here's David, now he's on the run, he's lying, he's doubting God, he's depending on the flesh, he's depending on carnal weapons. And now what does he do? He runs from the house of God, and where does he run to? He runs to Gath. Do you know the significance of that? Do you know who was from Gath? Goliath, it was his hometown. And you show up in Goliath's hometown, you're carrying Goliath's sword, you're the guy that killed Goliath and hacked his head off, you're the one, and they quote it. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Listen, here's the picture. This is you in a Chargers uniform walking into Oakland Stadium with all your glory saying, Go Chargers! 
You're not getting out of there alive, baby. I mean, it's not. And so somehow this guy's gotten so twisted, he thinks, oh, there, there we go. I'm going in. And you know, what, what? Why are they all coming against me? Because he's taking things into his own hands. He's taking things into his flesh. And listen, here's the deal. God has plan A and he has plan B for you and for me. Plan A is humility. That's plan A with God. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And you remember, God, with David, found him where? Humbly in the shepherd's fold, tending his father's sheep, just being obedient to do whatever his dad needed him to do. He was humbly serving God. And he was content to humbly wait there, even after being anointed the king of Israel, until God raised him up, and God placed him in the place where he was supposed to be. And it was in that place of humility that God poured his spirit out on on him and that he was by faith able to fight and overcome Goliath with a slingshot and a smooth stone. God did all of this work through his humble heart and now what's happening is he's not trusting God anymore. And so that's plan A. What's plan B? Humiliation. That's plan B with God. If you will not humble yourself, you will be humiliated. Now, that's not because God doesn't love you. It's because God does love you. God knows very much what he's doing in David's life. God has allowed him to go through all of these trials and all of these circumstances because God knows what's in David's heart. He knows where David's at. He knows that, hey, today he's been faithful. Tomorrow he's going to face a greater test and his faith is going to be shaken. And I want him to be humiliated so that he will come to the place that he's humiliated in his flesh, but that he humbly is going to come back to me and he's going to recognize that I'm his hope, I'm his savior, I'm his deliverer. Listen, if you trust in your flesh, you will be humiliated. But if you allow God to take you on a walk of faith, a venture of faith where you trust in him, humbly, God will raise you up. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, with this in mind, in Psalm 56, you, you don't necessarily have to turn there, but that's where I'm going, and that's where I'm going to conclude. But in Psalm 56, it's interesting, it's written by David when he was taken captive there in Gath. We, we, it's kind of implied in our text in 1 Samuel 21, but he was actually taken captive by them. And, uh, and so... In, verse 50, or in Psalm 56, here's the introduction to the psalm. It says, To the chief musician, set to the silent dove in distant lands, a mission of David when the Philistines captured him in Gath. And here's what God is doing through this humiliating experience that David had. He says, Be merciful to me, O God. We're just going through the first four verses. For man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day. For there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? Listen, through that humiliation, clearly God brought David to a place where he got a tune-up and he got back to the place to where, you know what? It's not, this sword of Goliath is not going to help me. It's the sword of the Spirit that's going to help me. It's the sword of God that's going to help me. It is, it is my Savior, my Lord. I've got I to quit doubting. I have to walk with him by faith. Is that you today? Would God say that to you today? I think for some of us, this is a really good reminder 
what God began in the spirit, man, let him continue it in the spirit today.